Welcome to another edition of Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. The mission of Food, Faith, and Feelings is to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Brought to you as an educational program under the nonprofit MANA Scholarship Fund, our program is designed to help you better understand issues related to your physical and mental diet, what you consume that impacts your head, your heart, and your soul. We are very thankful to our business partnership with Paradigm Security and Mr. Rick Strawn for providing this opportunity to come to you. We hope to enrich your lives as he has enriched ours. Our guest today is Aaron Schulberg, licensed Hello. and registered dietitian. Hello there. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. And you are, <laughs> you are working with you <laughs> at Mana. Mana Scholarship Fund. Yeah, I'm the yes. head dietitian there. She is, and she is <laughs> wonderful. And so one of the things that I wanted to discuss with you today is something that you and I talk about off and on, which is diets don't work. They don't. I say that to you all the time. Yeah. Well, not just to me, other no. people too. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about dieting. So this morning I looked at, uh, looked some stuff up online. Mm -hmm. And so according to Business Wire, the weight and loss and, and diet control market in the United States from 2019 to 2023, although I don't know under, I don't understand how they can go through till 2023, but the current diet market is worth $72 billion. And actually I thought it used to be in the trillions. So anyway, so what they said was that meal replacements are booming, but not over the counter diet pills. And I say, thank God, at least for not the diet pills. Yeah. I hear horror stories about past diet pills and from my parents and grandma and all that. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, as a person who used to use them 20, 30 years ago, they will jack you up for sure. I believe that. <laughs> Makes Ugh. you feel like you're on speed. It's terrible. Let's let's just talk about that right now. Just let's let's get into what's going on with the diet mindset in your perspective and working with clients. And I know your your client base is typically eating disordered people, mm -hmm. but I know that you also have an outside practice and perhaps you see other people who are trying to lose weight or other types of issues that aren't eating disordered related. Yeah, I see across the entire spectrum, I think you could say. Well, one of the first things I would note, $72 billion is a lot of money. And if diets were working, it probably wouldn't be quite so profitable because people wouldn't have to keep coming back and reinvesting their money, reinvesting their time. And that's something I don't think a lot of people think about is how much money they're making off people's ignorance because we're just being told what to do, right? Like, they're this is healthy. This is better for you. So people want to do what's good for them the dieting yo-yo yeah and they want to they want to be healthy they want to do better their doctors are telling them to do it too and so i think people do it because they have the right intentions mm -hmm. and they just don't understand the side effects of participating in something like that what it does to your body um but if diets worked they wouldn't be making quite so much money off of us 
Correct, because you no. wouldn't have to stay on the supplements. You wouldn't. In fact, I think last year, I during the pandemic, I did go on a supplement diet because being in menopause, your body's changing and it's not comfortable. And so I did go on that. It was like $400 for four weeks worth of pseudo food is what yeah. I like to call it. <laughs> It was it's probably a good name for it. Packets and, um, but, and I did lose about five pounds. And as soon as I stopped, I gained 10. Right. <laughs> so was not a fun time for me. No. What about, uh, what do you think about these other like sort of new things like intermittent fasting and keto? Well, I mean, it's just another form of, I think, restriction. So not working with our bodies and what they need and there's something new every couple of years it seems like too like you know we go went through the non the low fat back you know before I was around 90s yes yes <laughs> well I was around in the 90s you know well there was the no sugar and then no there was sugar. the no fat no there's, carbs and it just kind of rotates through protein never seems to get the bad rap but then there's like grapefruit diets. And yeah, so the new thing I think right now is like the keto, which is like a fat-based diet for the most part, which I think if you take a step back and think about that, eating 90% of your calories from fat sources, I just can't imagine in the long term that's going to have a really good impact on our bodies. Um, Especially if you have heart disease in your family. Right. Yeah. Just not good for you. There's not a lot of long-term data on it, though. So keto was originally approved for children with uh, epilepsy to help with their seizures. I had no idea. Yeah. So the extra fat protect the brain, the myelin sheath, and all the things going on up there. So it is approved for a certain population. And then some people took advantage and said, oh, well, if I go into ketosis, then my body's burning fat. And then I'm going to burn all the fat on my body. But we don't know the long-term impact on that. And I mean, it's so restrictive. You can't enjoy meals with your friends. You can't really go out to eat anywhere because restaurants don't cater towards that because chefs know better. Um, and it's very, I think, isolating, but people are just, they love it. They're so defensive of it. And in my work, I try not to, well, with eating disorders, it's one thing, but with people who are just trying to get healthier and, and do better for themselves, I try not to <laughs> talk too far down to the people or talk down about the diets themselves because... People hold on to things like with nutrition really strongly. They are very passionate about it, even when talking to a dietitian. And so I kind of let them have their belief system and work with them and ask them questions, motivational interviewing type stuff, sure. and see how it's affecting the rest of their lives and how they're actually feeling. One of the things that I learned as a psychologist is that there are three things that people generally hold the closest to their heart and really reflect their attachment patterns. Mm -hmm. One of them is food. The other one is sex. And the other one is money. How Makes they sense. use money, sex, and food is a really, it's an unconscious process. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if the way that they're like, oh no, this works, because I've actually gotten in, 
deep conversation, <laughs> I won't say an argument, with a friend of mine about intermittent fasting. Mm. He swore, oh, I've lost weight, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, but when, you're, when you've lost the weight and you are free to eat as you choose, then what happens? <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. I'm like, you can't. This is not a sustainable way of eating. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we teach, that you teach, that I've just known for 20-something years that I've been doing this, is that you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full. Mm-hmm. And the other component to all of this is love your body. Yeah. Or at least accept your body, even right. if you don't love it. And in fact, the same Business Wire article said that the actual number of dieters in the world has, has decreased due to the growth of the size acceptance and body positivity movement. Oh, I like that. Isn't that amazing? That's good news. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's this, uh, there's a thing in the eating disorder culture that talks about health at every size, H-A-E-S. So what the, what the desire is, is to, to understand that you might be carrying 30 or 50 extra pounds or 100 extra pounds, but your body itself is still functioning in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And there are very much different body types. And, uh, oh, here's the thing that I can't stand is the BMI. <laughs> the BMI is, uh, I'm going to be appropriate. Refra- yeah, <laughs> refrain from using the bad word. Right. <laughs> but it is bad. It is, it is, the BMI chart was built on people that are ectomorph. Uh, there's an ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph. And ectomorph people are those no matter what they eat, they are tall, they are thin, and they just always are, they, they just look like birds, like they're mm-hmm. ectomorphs. The BMI chart was built on an ectomorph body type. An endomorph, endomorph body type, which is mine, which is I have bigger bones, I have dense muscle. That is, there's no way that I could be five foot five inches and 125 pounds. Mm-hmm. I would look, I would look anorexic. Mm-hmm. I would look terrible. And then there's the endomorph, which is people that just naturally have a little extra tissue, body tissue and fat on them. And that's just how they are. And that's how they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's their healthiest ba- way of being. So let's let's talk a little bit about, maybe give us a story about how um, someone that just started on a diet actually led into an eating disorder. I feel like if you ask every single one of my clients right now, it started with some sort of diet for the most part, not with the intention of going into a full-blown eating disorder and harming themselves. But yeah, I mean... Nobody nobody wants to develop an eating disorder. No. Although you hear some of my clients, my younger teenage clients, it's trending in the middle school and high school setting because of social media, because of, and you know, what they see online. And so people I've been told say, oh, I feel so anorexic today, or I wish I was more anorexic and I wish I looked like you. And so it's becoming, we have like these two sides of the coin, like, yes, there's more body acceptance. Yes, there's more positivity. And then there's, it seems like there's so much more toxic stuff coming out with these kids too. 
which is really scary. And I've heard that from some of our clients who are 12, 13, 14 year olds, that that's their friend group and that's the conversations they have, which is really troubling to me. I will just interject that the kids that I used to work with 15 years ago that were in high school would all go to the bathroom together to purge together in school. So I I do think that there's this, I mean, it it just has the culture, the diet culture Mm -hmm. leads to eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I mean, underlying, the underlying principles are that there are, there's pain. And that's one of the things that we work on is to, to help them learn how to cope in a different way because the feelings that people get when they lose weight are sometimes pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and the effect that restriction, which diets are restriction, the effect that starts to have on your brain too is what can truly start to trigger that eating disorder mindset. And so, you know, if there's underlying trauma, if there's, you know, issues at home, if there's just life life (laughs) yeah for everybody (laughs) if you start to restrict especially at a young age it can kind of trigger this switch in your brain that your brain gets malnourished just like the rest of your body and then your brain starts playing those tricks on you where you don't see yourself clearly in the mirror anymore even though you've lost a ton of weight and people are telling you that a lot of these kids don't see that on themselves and so they see themselves as they do not exist in the world and it's called body dysmorphia which is very common and then that their cognitive ability gets impacted by their malnutrition and their restriction which wants leads them to want to do even more of it and that's that's just focused solely on anorexia nervosa the bulimia nervosa the purging end of things can is very addicted addictive in and of itself so once you kind of start that process can you do you uh, can you tell us why it's addictive you know I mean I have a very long personal history with it myself and so speaking from oh well I was gonna go ahead speaking from my personal (coughs) experience that's what I'm in recovery from I know that emotions were not something I loved feeling. And so once I discovered this as a coping strategy for disliking myself, disliking my body, disliking how I felt, I would get so overwhelmed. I would go to food to cope to make me feel better because food tastes good and it feels good. And that's a very supportive and comforting thing in the moment. And then on the flip side, I'm not supposed to do anything to jeopardize how I look Mm -hmm. or potentially how I feel about how I look. Therefore, I can get rid of this food and get this kind of high feeling afterwards of, oh, I accomplished something. I did something right for myself, even though if you take a step back and look at it, it's not healthy. It's not good for you. And I knew that deep down. But that process that I described is so enticing and addicting when you're in it and it feels good despite it being so gross yeah yeah the other the other physiological part of that high after you purge is that endorphins are released Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you're harming your body you're teaching your body to do something it's not designed to do yeah i mean purging or vomiting is something that our body does naturally when we've ingested something that's bad or toxic for us right, right. and so as part of that process once we 
I was bulimic as well. And so once we've eaten all of that food, the, the thoughts and the feelings are, I feel ashamed. So mm-hmm. I get really in touch with my shame about, oh my God, I eat all that. I have these needs. I don't know how to deal with them. And so the purging effect does give that sense of physiological and mental relief. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, which is why people, a lot of times people don't understand why people purge. Yeah. <laughs> like, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> stop yelling at me then. Yeah. The just stop or just eat comments are always very helpful in those circumstances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't, we, <clears throat> we wouldn't have a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if we could just do that. Right. So let's shift a little bit and let's talk about the difference between anorexia and orthorexia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, orthorexia is kind of like this, it's not a new, but it's this phenomenon happening more and more recently with this idea of clean eating and being... As a result of the diet culture. Right. As a result of diet culture, I have to only eat healthy foods. It has to be perfectly nutritious. If I put something else in my body, it's toxic, it's making me dirty, it's it's going to impact my health immediately and I'm going to be wrong. And it's with orthorexia, it tends to be less about body size. I think that's a component, but it's less about I need to be smaller, is more about I need to be pure and mm. I need to be clean. Which is a different form of body dysmorphic disorder, mm-hmm. right? Like if I think that I've ingested something again, I think emotionally it all revolves around shame. Mm-hmm. And so if I've eaten chocolate cake, because let's face it, chocolate cake is amazing. Yeah. Well, it can be bad, but it, most of the time it is amazing. Yeah, there are bad cakes. There are, there. but yeah. they're, uh, anyway. <laughs> So um, if I take this in, that means that I have taken in something bad Mm -hmm. and I need to be perfect. I need to have this belief and this sense of I've done everything perfectly Mm -hmm. in order to be okay. So again, that's a reflection of dealing with shame. Mm -hmm. And so if you're dealing with these thoughts and feelings, the underlying root is pain and shame Mm -hmm. and so you need to deal with that instead of trying to fix it with food yeah trying to purify yourself yeah yeah well and just that leads that's like giving ourselves so much credit for like what we eat and how food actually impacts our body there's a lot more to health than just what we eat and To be honest, food is kind of low on the totem pole in what impacts our overall well-being. And so people give nutrition a lot more credit than it's due. And I'm a dietitian. Of course, I love nutrition. Yeah. And doesn't mean it's the end-all be-all when it comes to us taking care of ourselves. Can you unpack that a little bit? Tell us a little bit more about how it's like lower on the totem pole. What, What would you say is higher on the totem pole? Shame, trauma, socioeconomic status any sort of bias against you, where you live, pollution, what you have access to, places social like... Social media. Yeah, social media, your family environment. There's so much more outside influence, and we want to put all of it on nutrition and exercise. 
and stress comes from so many other places than just food and exercise. So when you were talking about that, you were talking about uh, sort of the eating disorder diet culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, and just people in general, just people in general, like your health is impacted by the level of stress in your life from other factors and stress plays a significant role in our body's health and a bigger role for anyone than just food and nutrition or food and exercise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, there's so many ways that we could go into this conversation. (laughs) It's not a short conversation to have. (laughs) Exercise. Oh, that's a whole nother arm. Yeah. So what are uh, some other things that you think would be important for the audience to know about dieting and that uh, diets don't work? Well, you kind of touched on health at every size, but we didn't really say what it was. Um, So you mentioned health at every size before, and that's it's kind of a up-and-coming movement, if you will, or belief system of... Although um, it's been around for quite a while. But it has been around for a while. I think it may be gaining popularity a little bit now. Yeah. In that, you know, she described the different body types. And to, to elaborate, it's that you can have a healthy body and exist in a bigger body at the same time. So we live or in a thinner body. Or in a thin body. Yeah, you can be thin and healthy and you can be fat and healthy. It doesn't mean healthy at every size. Health at every size includes taking care of yourself in appropriate ways with healthy exercise, with balanced nutrition, and with balancing your stress and understanding what you need to take care of yourself in the rest of your life. And it says even if you exist in a body that is deemed, um, a word I'd hate, obese, you can still be as healthy as someone that doctors accept as normal weight and tell them, you know, you don't have issues, but we still want you to lose weight even though all your lab works perfect, you are in great health and you can do all the things you need to do to take care of yourself. So health at every size just includes everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it doesn't alienate people to tell them there's something wrong with you and you need to lose weight, even though there's literally nothing wrong with them at the time. So, and then the same, like you said, if you're in a smaller body, some people are just naturally tiny. My mom is a skinny little human and she is very healthy and takes good care of herself and always has. And she's in great shape for an almost 70 year old woman. She would hate that I just said that online on here, but, (laughs) but she's tiny and she always has been and she always will be. And that's okay because she wants to take care of herself in the best way possible. That's wonderful. Yeah. I really appreciate you being here today covering just just skimming the surface very much skim the surface (laughs) and um so what i'd like to do is maybe have you back in a month or two and we can go into some other you know maybe pregnancy and yeah uh, we'll see where i'm at a month or two (laughs) oh that's true that's true i might have popped by then hopefully not though (laughs) or menopause or Mm -hmm. other things that we could talk about exercise addiction just different things like that to help normalize the thoughts and feelings that people are having and to actually help them live a healthier life. Mm-hmm. So sounds great. Well, thank you, Miss Erin, for uh, coming. And thank you guys online for tuning in to Food, Faith, and Feelings. We want to walk with you on your journey to wholeness. Now, be sure to su- subscribe to our show. 
You can find us on about 12 different podcast apps such as Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. All shows are archived on businessradiox.com. Just go to businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio, and click on Food, Faith, and Feelings. Until next time, I am Dr. Jeannie Burnett, and this has been Food, Faith, and Feelings on Business Radio X. Music